Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And uh, today we are reviewing one of the... I I don't think this is an Oscar hopeful. No, it's not. It's but, it's but, too out there. Yeah, it's too out there. But again, this, this is coming out, you know, this came out in November. This, this has like some big names attached to it. It has a highbrow concept, so... It's not an Oscar movie and it's not an awards movie, but it, it, it happened to come out during this batch of films that are coming out during this time. Yeah, I think, uh, you know what I will say? I think there's a chance they'll, it'll have a four-year consideration with certain technical awards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think they'll, I don't know if it'll get nominated, but it'll have, if I'm a producer, I'm sending this as a four-year consideration for the script. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about uh, the new thriller from Searchlight Pictures, a.k.a. the indie part of Disney, uh, <laughs> The Menu, uh, yeah. starring Ray Fiennes and Anna Taylor-Joy, along with Nicholas Holt. Is it Anna or Anya? Oh, Anya. Anya, I'm yeah. I'm genuinely asking. I wasn't sure. I, I think it is Anya, yeah. Okay. Because there is a Y in there, so Anya Taylor-Joy, my mistake. That's all good. Um, so this, this, is a, this is like... Prob- there's probably been others, but this is like the first like thriller based around food that I've seen in a while. Like, like the pig pig advertised itself as like a crazy Nick Cage thriller about food, but it turned out to be just a, a drama involving food. Uh, but this this seems to be like actual like hey, there's like a horror movie about cooking and stuff so here so we go the closest we get to it is there's a so there was a bbc tv show came out years back where it was like each episode was a modern shakespeare adaptation and one did Macbeth, but in a in like a three michelin star restaurant oh my god really and james mcavoy was the chef wow and it's 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 interesting. It's it, it actually is is a, f- a fun time. It, it's mm-hmm. it's really unique, but um, that's the closest you'll get. And that wasn't a movie. It was a, it was an episode from a show. Mm-hmm. So um, Anya Taylor Joy and Nicholas Holt play a young couple who go to like this <clears throat> island in uh, who go to like this remote island to go to like this three Michelin star upscale of the basically like the most upscale restaurant in the country called Hawthorne, Mm -hmm. where the, where the executive chef is played by Ralph Fiennes and it's super exclusive, only 12 guests at any night. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like the night pretty much takes a turn for the worse when the chef basically declares that, Oh, all of you are going to die tonight. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the, the log line of the movie. And before we get to the review, see, I was thinking, I was thinking long and hard. What, what would we talk about? Like leading up to the review, uh, mm-hmm. so here's my question for you: Like, what has, what, what, what's your overall thoughts on like food movies or movies about food or about cuisine, to be more specific? Mm. I think f- movies about f- cuisine. Let's go with that. Are a lot like movies about making movies. They're either going to be really good or really pretentious and it's interesting that you can only get one or the other um or i shouldn't say really pretentious you also just get some that are just not right or silly so there's that too but i think it's it's kind of like 
when you're doing a movie where you're you're unveiling the curtain, you're drawing back the curtain, you're showing how the sausage is made with any industry. Literally. Literally. In this case, yeah. <laughs> that's good. I like that. That's very good. In this case, literally, you you run a risk of either showing too much because sometimes you need the mystique of it all or of some of it or you realize that it's a niche industry for a reason so to speak Mm. it's like plenty of people like to eat but not as many people like to cook actually see i'm gonna stop you right there um i i should i should be more specific it's not i don't mean just and I know you actually understood what I was trying to ask, see, but I didn't phrase it correctly. I'm not asking about movies about food in general. That that's a wide genre. It's a specific genre within that genre. It's a subgenre. Movies okay. about restaurants, oh, right? About restaurants, restaurants okay. right? Or about the 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 culinary, the the culinary arts. About restaurants. About chefs. About professional chefs, right? That, sure. that, that that's what I meant. That's you specific. you you understood my question. It's just that I didn't phrase it well. But that no, that's okay. what I mean. You know, so so like there are some there are some movies that are about like like someone in a family who makes a certain dish. But no, this is like movies about restaurants like uh, Big Night, um, Ratatouille. Do you here's a question real quick question. And I don't mean to go super highbrow here. Genuinely asking, do you feel Babette's 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 feast counts in that? Mm, Yes, because Babette was a former is has her skills because she's a. She was a former royal chef. There we go. Okay, I yeah. agree with that. So, so, so basically, if the that's prote- like the first one in in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, that that's kind of what I meant. You were answering the question perfectly, by the way. Sure. So continue. I just no, I no, just, you're fine. I just realized that I was like, oh, I really didn't phrase the question right. That's fair. There's a ton of movies about food, but we're talking about specifically about yeah, like like the culinary arts, like like professional chefs. No, yeah, so, so, no, okay. so, so, yeah. So continue. Within the world, okay. So the movie movies about the culinary arts, professional chefs specifically. Um, I would say okay. One thing I think we've realized is, turns out, it's very difficult to make a, sh- a head chef a sympathetic character <laughs> no if you're kidding. going to if you're going to also be honest. Okay. Yeah. Because here's a good way to look at it. You have Okay, this is a weird example, but so you have here are two movies. You have no reservations. Do you remember that like romantic yeah, comedy? Yeah, with that uh, Catherine Zeta Jones and yeah. Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. Yeah, and um, the girl from Little Miss Sunshine, actually. Um, Abigail Breslin. Yeah. Yeah. So there's you have here's the spectrum. You have no reservations, and you have Burnt. Oh my okay? god. Now think about it. But think about it. Okay, Burnt starring who? Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Okay. Have you seen both movies, Al? You can be honest. I have. I have seen both movies. I've actually okay. seen I've seen No Reservations more often than I've seen Burnt. I've yeah, seen because Burnt. It's, on t- it's, on, it's on TV a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, And here's what I'm getting at. So you have two. Th- those movies are about chefs, and they're about chefs going through some sort of personal loss, I think we could agree. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they are two extraordinarily different movies, okay? And the the thing that's tricky is, 
So in No Reservations, they make the chef. She is a... She has flaws. And again, I'm not here to say like No Reservations is some hidden gem that you all need to watch. That's not my pitch here. But she has flaws. But in general, she's a a savory character, so to speak. She Mm. is a likable person who's got some flaws, but she's going to meet this man and she now has this kid. Uh, And she's going to improve and, you know, happily ever after is on the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's sort of what's happening. But she in general, they have moments, but in general, she is a, she is a savory person. Yeah. In the movie. Mm -hmm. Then you've got Burnt, with Bradley Cooper, and he is not. He's a very unsavory person. And in fact, though I enjoyed Burnt very much, and I actually think that's a movie critics got wrong, a lot of people really struggled to sympathize with Burnt, or with Bradley Cooper's character in Burnt. Like, you can look up the reviews. Like, they, it, it was just very difficult for people to do that. But at the same time, no reservations didn't really got did maybe did better in box office, but the reviews weren't much better. But the complaints, the complaints were totally different. But one was, oh, Bradley Cooper's character is so unsavory, and on the other end, it was, oh, no reservations is not a realistic interpretation of the of the restaurant world. Mm-hmm. So, but that's what happens. You have the situation where, how do you make people who have developed a reputation like Chef Ramsay, who have, be- have developed that reputation of yelling and screaming. And I'm not saying every chef is like that, but everyone that's worked in a restaurant for more than a year will attest that at some point a, ye- a chef has lost his shit in a pretty <laughs> major way. Yeah. I-, I say that confidently having never worked at a restaurant. But so that's the trouble you have with these movies. It's like, well, are we realistic or are we... Or are we going to, you know, be appealing to a general audience? Mm -hmm. And I think we are starting to get a balance with movies like Pig, with, and in certain ways, movies like The Menu that we're about to talk about. Another example is uh, The Bear. That's a great example. Oh, yeah. That's a TV show. That's not a movie. But from... And I, I, I'll, let me say now that I have not seen the bear, but from what I understand, the lead, he's not a very savory character, but you do sympathize with him. You do sympathize with the struggle the restaurant goes, goes through as a whole. Yeah. So I think it's this weird balancing act that these movies have to do, and they will not always get it right. Yeah. So here, here are my thoughts on the restaurant movie, right? Um, so... I, I think what's what's so attractive about telling stories about professional chefs and restaurants is because they they're the other big industry that that is inherently creative, but in, in a similar way to cinema, right? Mm-hmm. Now the the big thing is is the big difference is is that well what they create is something you literally consume, which whereas uh, the the media you consume, I mean, it's it's still there, right? Mm-hmm. So so there there there's a more I guess you could say there. Weirdly enough, there is still inherently a more blue collar aspect to to you know the the restaurant industry to to the the food industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know writers and directors are attra- and actors are attracted to these stories 
because they can pretty much tell in whatever story or whatever they're feeling. They can pretty much put their feelings on the state of art in general really, really well within the within the confines of telling a, a, mo a story about food. Right. I mean, like Ratatouille is can, I know this sounds so weird when you say it out loud, but it is true. Ratatouille is considered one of the greatest restaurant movies ever made. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much inherently a story about a, an artist needing to express themselves in their art and that they have such a talent for it, even though they come from an unorthodox background. Right now, but that movie is also a giant balancing act. Oh, it is. It, it really is because and, and I think it's helped because it is an animated film. Right. Mm -hmm. So and I know Brad Bird would hate me for saying this, but, you know, when you are working in animation, you know, people are willing to sus to suspend their disbelief because they know you have to tell a story about kids. So the the chefs aren't realistic because, I mean, anyone who's worked in a professional kitchen knows that you can't go a minute without someone dropping the F-bomb. <laughs> sure, yeah. But, and, and yeah. you know, also the case that, you know, the, like the, the idea of rats in the kitchen that obviously in, in a live action setting, that would be even more... Like, actually, like you just... know what it would look like? Remember that whole bit in Everything Ever All at Once with yeah. the raccoon? That's yeah. what it would be. And it, you realize, oh, it, you need yeah. it. You need it to be animated. It doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. But but then you have something more recent like Pig, right? Where it's not inherently about like the arts. It's actually more about grief. But the grief is expressed through food, and obviously, it's expressed through through the expression of art, right? So you have stuff like that. So I think there's a reason why. Like, I know this sounds so odd, but that people are attracted to telling stories about professional chefs because there's a kindred spirit involved in that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like you said earlier, I mean, sometimes it's really hard to tell a compelling story because let's be honest, professional chefs, especially chefs in that hot cuisine level world, mm -hmm. do not have a good reputation. They, they no. just don't. Right. No. Um I mean, they don't. I mean, there's a reason why Gordon Ramsay is so infamous. There's a reason why his mentor, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jean-Pierre um, White? Jean-Pierre White. Yeah, he's, yeah. my God. Yeah. What, Famously. It, it's, really, it's really actually fascinating to see that how they're so different, right? Jean-Pierre White is like this calm guy who will calmly tear you down, like, psychologically, whereas... Gordon Ramsay's just more in your face about it, right? Well, that's so that's actually. Uh, I, I've I've had people compare them to like to like the Emperor and Darth Vader, and I'm like, wow, that really fucking works really well. It, no, it it 100 does. I will add, do yourself. Oh, Marco Pierre like, White. Marco. His Marco, name is Marco yeah, Pierre White. Marco Pierre White. Yes. Everyone at home, do yourselves a favor. Go to YouTube and watch like Marco Pierre White's original like six episode series that was done about him at his like first restaurant. It's the funniest fucking thing ever because a, it, it, is, it, see, is it the one is it the one where like the the BBC reporters trying to ask him a question and he's like not having it whatsoever so he basically yes. insults her yeah and she's and she's like well I don't understand why that's necessary Marco he's like you don't understand that's necessary because you probably had boiled boiled cabbage for dinner it's <laughs> like damn oh god fucker but it's it's Interesting to watch because, A, every once in a while you're like, oh, that's Gordon Ramsay, like, in the fucking background, not saying a fucking word. Um, but you also have these moments where he just, like, acts like a child and a rock star and a tyrant at the same time. 
Yeah. And it's, yeah. but then he produces this amazing food. Exactly. And, and, but you know, let's be honest here. Filmmakers, actors, directors, they're not like, they're not like sweet peas either. You know, I mean, no, no. they're not. And I think, I think that just enhances the kinship with it. So uh, the point I'm going, the point I'm going with this is that like, kind of like I alluded to earlier, restaurant movies are a great conduit for writers and directors to basically share their thoughts, express their thoughts on on kind of the the um, the commercial nature of art, because cinema and re- and food are the most commercialized versions of art of creative expression you can get. Well, and, and video games. Oh, and video games. Yeah, yeah, and video games. Um, although some people would deny they aren't art, but I do That's, consider them uh, art. I do consider them art people. Yeah. Um, Even one of my f- one of the greatest critics of all time never saw the light in that sense, and it is a shame. Yeah, it what is a shame. Yeah, but so so that's kind of what we have here in the menu. In fact, um, it pretty explicitly, uh, one of the co-writers, Will Tracy, who is also a staff writer on uh, on uh, Succession, he yeah. basically came up with the idea when he went to a he went to an actual restaurant that was on an island and he realized oh wow the guests are stuck here with the restaurant staff i wonder and and you know it got him to thinking and uh mm-hmm. then he he and then uh seth reese came in to kind of punch up and make it more funny because this i've looked at the credits of, of the seth reese guy it seems like he only has done like online online like comedy skits and like web comedy for magazines whereas will tracy is actually like a television writer yeah and uh we also have director mark mylod on here which do you know this is his first movie in 11 years what was the last thing he did what's your number starring anna ferris and chris evans oh jesus right hadn't made a movie since then worked almost ex- worked exclusively in television and he's right. basically like the the primary series director for Succession. Well, you know, this is a lot of a, a lot of not film or at least not originally film writers wrote this. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? You can tell a little bit, not much, but a little. You you can tell because this plays out like a bottle episode of a larger TV series. Because it well, another reason why is it has more than three acts. Yeah, exactly. It does. And, and in television, you typically do five acts. Yeah. And, and again, kind of what makes this movie so interesting is that I I can't think of another restaurant movie that was also a horror film, a thriller, and a comedy. Not not on the big screen release. Yeah. Though, not at all. Most of these movies are always dramas in some sort of fashion or, yeah. or comedies. They're either yeah. dramas, comedies, but never thriller and never, ever horror. You know, no, because... True. Because they're always they're already like the selling point is the pretty looking food, and yeah. and and kind of the the story that's about you know the the creative expression of art, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah no credit to uh, to Will Tracy Seth Reese and Mark Mylod, Mylod I don't know how to pronounce his last name for all the that, names we apologize yeah where they're like hey we want to tell a story that's kind of a satirical look at the commercialization of creative expression. But we, we also want to kind of have you on the edge of your seat with it. So uh, how about we watch the trailer and then we start giving our review. Let's do it. Is that going to fit everyone? Yeah, easily. 12 customers total. How do they turn a profit? 12.50 a head. That's how. 
What are we eating, a Rolex? It's one of his classics. You have to try the mouthfeel of the mignonette. Please don't say mouthfeel. Tonight will be madness. Welcome. We'll endeavor to make your evening as pleasant as possible. Welcome to Hawthorne. Here we are family. Yes, we harvest, we ferment, we gel. We gel. We gel. He's not just a chef, he's a storyteller. The game is trying to guess what the overarching theme of the entire meal is gonna be. You won't know till the end. Who are you? I am Margo. Why do you care? I have to know if you're with us or with them. This menu. The pictures, they're of us. This guest list. How do they get these? It's not good. This entire evening. Jesus Christ. This is just theater, it's stagecraft. We're leaving now. Has been painstakingly planned. This is real, isn't it? What the hell is going on? We now offer you a 45 second head start. Okay, 45 seconds starts now. This is what you're paying for. Get out of my way. It's all part of the menu. It's okay. No, we're gonna die today. Yes, we are. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. You told them it was my birthday? Seemed funny about three hours ago. Great, great trailer. Yeah, it, it really is. So this was the second trailer, actually. And I wanted I wanted to play this trailer because I felt the first one went almost too thrillery. This one has more of a comedic bent to it, which I feel like really helped represents the film more accurately. Yeah. When we saw the first trailer in theaters, we were like, oh, this is like legit going to be freaky. And yeah. then we see this, and you're like, okay, they're they're having fun. Yeah, they're, they're having a lot of fun with it. So, uh, see, uh, well, let me just say this, and then I'll let you get, yeah, get your on. thoughts out. Will Tracy, who came up with the idea, I have to know, because he, he didn't, he didn't, he was never, I can't seem to find, like, the exact restaurant he went to. And mm -hmm. you'd be surprised. There are actually quite a bit of restaurants around the like world this. that take that take place in an island that are set in an island. Could it well, have been a pop up situation? Maybe I don't know. Anyway, I want to know what was his restaurant experience like that he thought to himself, like, "Man, we'd be fucked if these guys decided they wanted to kill us." I I, I need to know. Yeah. But I, I I've done a ton of research on this. He he he's never explicit with the restaurant. And there, there, there are like numerous restaurants that are like isolated on an island. And I'm like, wow, is this like a, is this like a thing with, with hot cuisine? Well, anyway, anyway, with gourmet cooking, I don't know. Anyway. Um, so yeah, uh, see, what are we, what are your thoughts on the film? Well, I was very intrigued by this film from the get go. I was always, I love sort of. I love a good dark comedy. So I was very much ready for this. And this was dark. And this was funny. So it checked off those boxes right there. 
Um, I think the acting where it mattered most was great. I think you had the two leads, you know, of Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy were spot on exactly. They knew what they needed to be in this and they achieved that. They just knocked it out of the park. Um, I will say it is a... It's interesting with how, and I guess I knew, you know this from the trailer, but just how personal they got with it was an interesting touch. Like, I was wondering, I, okay, here's where it was. For the sake of argument, let's say this was three acts. It was really like five or six, but either way. The first two acts, I'm fully, fully, fully on board. Completely. The third act, I thoroughly, I enjoyed it, but I felt like what the writer decided to do, because, okay, this is, this is a bit of a spoiler, but you kind of get this idea in the trailer. They, the, the chef and the, uh, the entire restaurant were surprised by Anna Taylor-Joy's character, who, Margot, that was the character's name. Yeah. They were surprised by Margot's presence. And most of the third act is kind of them trying to, f- trying to figure out what to do with her, so to speak. Like, the restaurant, that is. Like, they, they try to negotiate with her. They try uh, to... Yeah. I, would, I would say it like this in order to not... I mean, give away. It's it's kind of apparent, but in order to not give away the ending, the 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 situation is that the character of Margot, played by Anya Taylor Joy, right? The first two acts are kind of setting up that you know she she's different from the other guests, and mm-hmm. then the third act is just kind of twisting itself into knots in order to like, in order to give her storyline a resolution. That that yes. that makes sense for that storyline because she she's not like the other guests, yeah. and and I I totally get what you're saying. See, I totally totally understand. I I left satisfied over how they they resolved that narrative I, conundrum. Here's the thing: I left fifty percent satisfied because I think the personal way that things ended for I'm being vague. I think the personal way things ended for Margot were was that was great. The broader ending of the movie, I was I don't know how I fully felt about that. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to say the least, but that I don't know. It's I'm kind of split because it's like okay. As because, I said, first two acts are great because yeah. I I get what you're saying because the, there's certain characters who even call attention to like oh well you, you guys kind of just you guys just kind of took it and I'm like the characters acknowledging this doesn't change the fact that you're still kind of like like okay like. 
why is why is this why is this like wrapping up like this? You're like acknowledging that it's a little odd or that it it kind of doesn't make sense. But then here's the problem though. There was a one that so sometimes scripts do this thing and I actually I'm fully for this. I've people call it a cop out and I'm like no you can absolutely do this where you have a line that like explains away a possibility of something completely derailing the story. Mm. 50 I'm usually pretty okay with it if it just keeps the story going. Um, and the main one was there's a moment when they all the guests to so- talk about how they could, you know, stop what the horrible shit that's happening to them from happening to them. And there's one little thing they say. It's like, well, yeah, we could try to fight, but they have better knife skills than us. And I was fine with that as an explanation for why they maybe didn't immediately all try to stop it but that's just me Mm -hmm. i think my other issue is they simultaneously explained the backstory of hawthorne really well and really poorly so to speak like it's weird like you understood the personal loss the lead chef felt lead chef felt over mm-hmm. time, Ray Fine's character, and why he sort of fell out of touch with the with what he had created. And I understand why I'm a I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for why he decided to do what he did. What I'm not willing to do is you show a few things where he's absolutely batshit and you kind of see that, but then like you you sort of get this weird acknowledgement from the lead character in a weird way. And I don't know if it was an acknowledgement, but it was at the very least her sort of condoning, not condoning <clears throat> what would happen, but God, there's a selfishness to it. Almost. Yes, I, I agree. I totally agree. And, and, and the you movie... know me, I don't mind that. No, normally. Yeah, no, it, it bothered me. And, and then the movie tries to justify it by by having her her selfishness be like affirmed by another character, like in a silent moment, a silent beat. You know which beat I'm talking about. Oh yeah. And, and the problem I had though is that, like, like it, it, that's such an easy fix. You have her. You have her selfishness be like like totally against her will. Like like maybe maybe you have you have like the cult of sous chefs like force her into that situation or something. I don't know. Instead of just having her be like, Oh, okay. I I guess, I guess, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And that was a problem for me. That being said, I, I think the film. Okay. So, um, something that should be said is that the film really tries to establish that, that the other 11 patrons of Hawthorne that night are like pieces of shit. Yeah. And and the the problem I have is that like like nine of them are or no, let me let me take that down. Like half. Seven of them are sure. definite pieces of shit. Seven. Yeah. A good seven of them are definite pieces of shit. And then there's like an, another four where you're kind of like you're like, not that bad. You you I mean I mean you guys aren't that you guys aren't that bad and and what, <laughs> what what happens is is that 
you know, there's one who's not bad at all, and they say one line for why they're doing this to her, and I'm like, that's fucked. No, no, no. yeah, ba- basically it became like a, it became like like oh you're 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 part of the one percent, so fuck you, and I'm like, Ugh. there there's like six or seven that are definite pieces of shit, um, but but then you you have these other other four where I'm like, what, what the, what the fuck did they and do? They almost had it where like, like okay, one of the characters, to, like you enable this other person. It's like, okay, you're going somewhere with that. That's good. Yeah. But they didn't take that far. Enough. Yeah. And, and then another two, like their whole thing is basically like, Oh, you're just, you're just flaunting your wealth and you don't even appreciate what you're flaunting your wealth on. And I'm like, okay, fu-. but, but then, it kind of goes back to so ultimately what this movie is about is about how a creative person an artist how the commercialization of their art of their passion of their creativity basically slowly like slowly er, er, erodes you and just makes you start hating what you're doing and then that hate is is accentuated when you when you realize you've lost so much for something that you now hate. And that's essentially what drives uh, Chef Slovik, Slovik, played by Ralph Fiennes, exquisitely, I might add, exquisitely. Oh, absolutely. It's what drives into insanity. Now, I actually don't have a problem with the minimal way they express his backstory. Um, I, I don't have a problem with it in the sense that, like, I was able to connect the dots and, like, okay, this is, this is, this is how he got here. That being said, you still kind of have to take a leap of going like, okay, yeah, this would, I can understand, like, I understand how he came to that, to that, like, like negative point in his life. I just didn't understand how that made him like, like crazy. Because, because, because like, I get why he would hate what he does. I just don't get how that would make him homicidally crazy like i don't see how that would make him a homicidal maniac with a with a christ complex with a messiah complex now you could they they had all the here's no pun intended they had the ingredients to get there but and they almost do but it's 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 weird it's like again yeah like like you see him you're like okay i totally get how you get from point a to point b but I don't get how you get to point B to point C where, where he's at right now. C being crazy. I, 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 we don't get that. Like, like, I guess you could say like, well, he hates it so much that I drove him crazy. And it's like, sure. That expresses itself by you. Like, like what happens in, in chef directed by John Favreau, where he blows up at his, at the, at the owner manager of his restaurant. He doesn't kill the manager. Exactly. Or, or where he basically embarrasses a food critic in front of the, the entire restaurant, right? You, you see how hating, hating, hating your job makes you do that. Mm -hmm. You, you don't see him like go like, I want, I'm going to kill everybody. You don't see that. Now you could have, you, we, what we needed was some kind of personal loss on his end that doing this caused. Because we're only alluded to one thing, yeah. That 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 personal loss, like he has one, it, it's explicit, and then it's like, okay, um, we're not going to elaborate further, and you're still kind of stuck in this situation where you're like, I I just like, like, 
and and this this is not a this is not a slight against Raph, Ray Fine's performance. He's no, doing he's amazing, great. like one of his best performances, I would say. Top three. Yeah, top three. My problem is is that like when the movie decides to unveil the mystery, you you either unveil the mystery or you don't. Right, mm-hmm. like a, a movie that this this film has been compared to. Like, and there are reasons for that, but uh, we can't really go into it without, like, spoiling some stuff. But this movie gets compared to Midsummer, right? And in Midsummer, mm-hmm. like, all we know is that those Swedish pagans are crazy. Mm-hmm. We don't get a backstory as to why they still do these these evil paganistic rituals. They just do them. There's so no attempt at it that yeah. you kind of accept it. No, exactly. They you they they don't explain why they do what they do, why they're killing these people. They don't explain anything. They just do it, right? They do it, and the most you get is like, well, this is how it's been done for so long. They never explain why they still do it like that. They never do, right? Mm-hmm. It would be it would have lessened the movie if you decide because okay, there's a legitimate there are legitimate moments or there it's a legitimate choice to unveil you know, look behind the curtain over why something horrible is, is horrible. Why these horrible people are horrible people. That's a legitimate creative choice. That's a legitimate narrative choice. But if Midsummer had been like, okay, we're, we're going to do a backstory of why these people like do human sacrifices. And then you just get to like, oh, well, they just kind of moved away from, from civilization and that's it. You'd be like, really? That's it. Okay. Like, like it'd be unsatisfying and the movie yeah. would be unsatisfying as a result, right? But um, uh, Ari Aster made the, the creative choice to basically be like, this is how they are, take it or leave it. Yeah. And we accept it. And my problem with the menu is that, because it's not just like, why is Chef Slowick crazy? It's also like, why the fuck are these, the, this, this- Why are they all following him? Exactly, because the, the thing- yeah, basically, and the first trailer, the first trailer alludes to this. The second trailer, not so much, but it it's pretty apparent that the his crew are all acolytes to Sh- Chef Slowick. They're all willing to do whatever it takes, whatever he asks for, no matter how inhumane, no matter how literally homicidal. Like they they're they're base. It's ba- he's basically running a cult, right? Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. There's a there's a satirical element to it, right? There's a there's a narrative, a satirical narrative reason why the movie chooses to show his sous chefs, his 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 kitchen chefs, his army of chefs as basically followers of a crazy cult, right? There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the the writers basically want to say that you basically become a mindless, a mindless, devout drone when you're trying to, when you, when you're trying to, when you're an apprentice trying to overcome your master. There is a cult-like ass fanaticism to it that isn't necessarily healthy, right? Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's that's good. That's good satire. Mm-hmm. But then within the inner workings of the narrative, you're like, everyone's okay with this. Everyone yeah. like, and and the movie does an attempt to be like. Oh well, these these people are weird because they all live together, they all work together, they all cook together, they they 
go to the bathroom in front of each other, right? The, the, it, these little attempts to kind of to kind of explain it or justify it, but it's still, you know, it's still something where you're like, I, 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 don't, I don't get it, right? Like, because when there's literally a scene where where one of the one of the sous chefs does something, and I'm like, and everyone is okay with this. Everyone's willing to do this, right? And then there's a second scene where another sous chef is like being no like actually has a reaction where they're like, where they're like, and the movie kind of uses this to do a 180 on the audience where they have a, they, they seem normal and you're like, oh, okay, there is someone normal here. And then the movie does a 180 and shows you that they're probably crazier than Chef Slowick himself. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Okay, but why? Like, like on, on a satirical level, I get it, right? Like, creatives who have a who have a master and that master apprentice relationship, that relationship can very much become very toxic and just mentally unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Like, it really can. You see it in the in the movie industry where you have a ca- a young camera team that looks up to the DP and is like, Oh, that, I do- I've I've seen some fucked shit with that. Yeah, I I have too. Or or where you have this read a DP's contract, it gets weird. Yeah, or like a you famous have, one. Sorry. Yeah, or you have like these, or you have like this this gaffer team where the the key grip is like is basically like Jesus. Like, like the the writers see this, the writer and the mm-hmm. director see this, and they're they're giving their own opinion on that, and you you're like, okay, this is a really good satirical element because you do see it, and it is toxic it's very toxic right mm-hmm. and this thing exists in the restaurant world as well where right. the the line cooks basically live and breathe on whatever the executive chef says in mm-hmm. fact uh bear the, the show you talked about earlier i've seen it the reason why the protagonist is so like mentally broken not just over the inciting incident of the tv show but because he was on the receiving end of verbal of verbal and mental abuse of his of his executive chef and he didn't see that there was anything wrong with that right he's like no it's just how things are so i like that satire i think as uh, on a satirical level it works but then on a narrative level you're like everyone's okay with this why (laughs) and maybe that the movie could have explored that more but i genuinely don't know how yeah they could have um and the thing is too is that it makes for a a compelling situation where you basically have a chef with these acolytes willing to do whatever for him like like it and so you basically have the kitchen versus the versus the guests like that that's compelling Uh, i'm not gonna say it isn't it's just you do wonder like why is everyone okay with this but anyway anyway uh see let me ask you uh performances what were the standouts for you oh ray fines anna taylor joy were the two biggest standouts um after that the second the second tier were um who was on Taylor who was on Taylor Joy's date? Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. And actually, you know who was a nice surprise? Um so the woman who's also in Ozark as a Oh uh, as a uh, Janet uh Janet McTeer. She was great. I like Oh yeah, because because she plays the food critic in, in this in this she movie. She nails it. It's she really, really does. So so she understands what the what they what they were asking her to be. It's yeah. really funny. So, so basically Janet McTeer plays Lillian, the food critic, and she's basically like 
the food critic from like New York magazine or something. And she has her editor with her, uh, this guy named Ted played by this actor, Paul Edelstein, who for the life of me, I can't remember what I've else I've seen him in. Um, but, but you, you see, you, he's know like a this... character actor that I've seen. Cause that face was very familiar. Yeah. But they, they actually had some of the funniest little quips. So because, because basically their entire relationship is kind of, if, if you're somebody who's written for like publications, you know, this is true where like you have that like A-list rock star writer that's on the staff and their editor is basically like always brown nosing them, always saying like, yes, yes, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. And just, just, because, just to, to smooth yeah. the writer's ego. Oh yeah. And that, it, it that's, happens. and that's basically what, what they are. That's basically their relationship. And inherently that relationship is also kind of why, why Chef Slowick just hates them with a burning passion. Also, I, I, I liked her. The way they fucked with her was the best. No, yeah. Ba- that so was the best. Yeah. Like, the 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 film the film mentions that it's $1,200 a person to go mm-hmm. to this restaurant, right? Yeah. That's a ton of money, right? For a meal. But then she explicitly mentions out loud, and I think this was intentional, that Chef Slowick invited her to Hawthorne. Yeah. To do a review personally, personally, back, but invited her back is what yeah. she said. In- it wasn't her. like it was like she made it clear that she, she's like, oh no, I'm special. Okay, and this isn't a spoiler because it happens pretty quickly, and you kind of see this in the trailer. But before they sit down and eat, they kind of tour the island a bit, which is like part of it, I guess. Yeah, and very noticeably, she skips it because she's done this before. Yeah, she knows it. Yeah, so. That like their their whole their whole like dynamic is really really funny because it's basically it's it's basically the writers and the director kind of shooting a shot past those the the movie critics and their editors who just brown nose the critics because they're afraid to lose them to a rival publication. It was really good. But back to yeah. Nicholas Holt though, Nicholas Holt in the trailers you you think he's going to come off as like kind of the co- comic relief. Of the movie, the the one who like the the dumb one, right? The trailers made him mm-hmm. come out to be like he's going to be the dumb one, the or the lovable dumb one, and he does start off like that in the movie. But as the movie goes on, the his his performance does a very subtle change. But what the movie does is that they basically recontextualizes the nature of his character. And I have to say, when that reveal happens, I was so shocked because I'm like, I saw Nicholas Holt play two different characters and he really didn't change much as in his performance. That's the mark of a great actor. It really. is. It because is. I, it went from me being like, oh, look how stupid he is to being like, I hate this man. I, and yeah. it, it was very personal for me. Very, very personal for me mm-hmm. because I... Okay, so a bit of a bit of backstory on me. I've worked in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. I, I've worked in a kitchen, and and C can attest. I loathe being called a foodie. I loathe it mm-hmm. because I've experienced that foodies sometimes just talk out of their ass, yeah. right? And they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like they they just don't. Because I've worked in a kitchen. I've 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 been taught. By a, by a world-class chef over some cooking techniques. And 
like when foodies talk out of their ass, it annoys me because they say it with such confidence. authority, confidence oh, and authority. Right. And that mm-hmm. just, it gets under my skin because you would think, Oh, they like, for instance, uh, what's his name? Uh, Alton Brown. Is that yeah. his name? Right. Alton Brown yeah. is a foodie has no formal cooking training, but he has, he has given himself like some, he has taught himself the basics of, uh, of cooking, advanced cooking techniques. Like that guy has never worked in a kitchen, but he knows food. He knows oh, food yeah. really. He knows food and he knows cooking. He knows that really, really well. So he never talks out of the ass. Everything he says is comes from a place of, of self-taught authority. And most foodies aren't like that. They just, they'll say something like, oh, this tastes so briny. And when you ask them to describe what briny is, they just kind of look at you like, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, fish, but good. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. Anyway, Nicholas Holt plays this foodie, right? And the way the writers and the director, the way they kind of give their satirical take on the idea of a foodie, on the idea of, of, of someone who talks so confidently about a creative about a creative industry and then show that those per- people have no idea what they're talking about. Those, those beats, those moments in that film, I wanted to stand up and applause because that's been like, they showed on screen what I've wanted to do to every foodie I've met who mm-hmm. doesn't know the fucking difference between, between like hollandaise sauce and fucking mayonnaise. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> or they're like, it's not mayonnaise, it's aioli. Oh my god. Like or or when they talk out of their ass over like over like over like foreign cuisine, right? Mm-hmm. Like this movie showed that and I applauded them for it. And then they add like a uh, an extra narrative level to it because you find out, I'm not going to say what exactly, Nicholas Holt's character Tyler become such a loathsome individual and he doesn't really change his attitude mm-hmm. but the movie presents us with information where we're like oh fuck you dude fuck you it, it's a masterstroke of the writers i i th- that is one of the because it's really hard to have a character and keep the same performance but then narratively it's just all recontextualized and you're like it goes from like you're not lovable to to it goes from oh you're lovable to like oh you're just a monster. I, I thought that was a that was very very good writing and directing on the on the filmmaker's part, and just mm-hmm. a great performance on Nicholas Holt's part. Nicholas Holt always he seems to always hit it out of the park, even when he's not in great projects. Uh, mm-hmm. Jack the Giant Killer. I'm I'm looking at you. But listen, I agree 110 percent with that statement. But he he didn't know. He didn't know. <laughs> he was still early he, on in his career. He was still early. He's like, well, I'm gonna be he, a. Never mind. But well, he's he's, he's been in movies since like about a boy, which came out in 2004. But anyway, that's um, true. Uh, but there's the difference between being movies as a child and being as an adult. But that's a different story. What did, different. What did you think about his character of Tyler? So I liked his character of Tyler as we, his character. We understood his character more through Anya Taylor-Joy in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We Once we learned more about her, we realized how much of a piece of shit he was. Like, yeah. And, and it just, it got worse and worse. You're like, oh, you suck. Oh, you really suck. Oh, you're gross. Oh, you're... 
there's something wrong with you. No, and, and it's such a masterful performance because he never does like a, 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 a tonal shift in his performance. There's never that, right? No. He still comes off, the way he comes off the trailers is how he comes off throughout the entire movie. Yeah. But the context is what changes and that's what, what you're like, oh, fuck. Now, Anya Taylor-Joy, like, she listen, she's, she's a great actress. She's going to be an Oscar winner one day, right? Mm-hmm. The character of Margot isn't a isn't a role that requires like an, a new level of acting for on her part. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, Margot's one of the better written characters she's done in the sense in the sense of like mm-hmm. you know she's a you know she's she's like you know how like in thrillers or in thrillers in horror films you have like. The protagonist who wasn't even supposed to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's it's up to the writer, director, and the performer to to kind of be able to like to like blossom that into a refreshing character compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. You you don't see that a lot. Usually there's always a fumble somewhere, like the, maybe the performance isn't isn't very dynamic or or the filmmaker doesn't really know what to do with them except oh you you have to stick out from everything else you know you see this you see this a lot in horror movies with the final girl quote unquote mm-hmm. where they're like oh you you're different from the rest of the meat fodder and then you're like okay well how 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 and they're they're really re, then you realize oh all they know is that well you survive right but here mm-hmm. like there's a there's there's a satirical reason why she's different from the rest. There's a narrative reason. There's a there's a thematic reason. It works really, really well, you know. And up and, until part of the end. Oh That's yeah, up, the in, up up until part of the end because then the filmmakers have no idea how to untangle her from the rest of this horrific mess, right? Yeah. Because because if they had done nothing. Like it would have made for a more like shocking ending, but people would have walked out being like, that was needlessly cruel. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's one of the, one of the critiques against Midsummer was that the way it ends was needlessly cruel. People would be yeah. like, okay, it w- that, that was too much. Right. Yeah. Because spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Midsummer, I'm not going to say who, but basically a rape victim is murdered because they were raped pretty much. Did- and, yes. and, and and a lot of people were very upset about that. They were like, yeah, the rape victim was kind of an asshole, but the the immediate reason why they, they were murdered is because, you know, someone misconstrued a rape as infidelity. And that mm-hmm. left a bad taste. Like, that left a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, a yeah. lot of things left a bad taste in my mouth, but I thought that was the point. <laughs> and I think that... Listen... This isn't, a, this isn't, we could do an episode about how Ari Aster, listen, whatever, his next movie, which it's been renamed, right? Yeah. Uh, whatever it is, coming out next year, we're going to have to really talk about how he just loves to, uncomfortable is, if uncomfortable was a goddamn aesthetic, my God. Yeah, we'll that's get a, it. Yeah. That's a different story. Now, now, so I understand why the writers and the director probably didn't want to go that route. Sure. Like there's only some, they're like, yeah, you know, we're like already, you know, we're, we're being cruel to some characters. Let's not be needlessly cruel. You know what I also have a theory on? What? So 
Al, as you know, when you're writing a script, second draft gets tough because you have to do something a lot of writers call kill the baby or kill your darlings, where you have really fun moments or good moments, but you realize it doesn't work because it hinders the story overall. You know what I mean? Dude, it's crazy you mentioned that because... That happens twice in this movie. No joke. It's actually... So... So they actually like very last minute killed a big, big baby that I only found out because I was doing research on the menu after I'd seen it. Really? Yeah, it's really hard to get into specifics, but basically you remember that uh, that room in the restaurant that. Uh, yes. That the, yes. Yeah. That room in the restaurant. Like we see. Like okay. we know nothing else about it. But yeah, we know not. We just see it. There's like a lingering shot on it and that's it. Right. Yeah. And then later on a separate room is introduced but it's not the room that the camera lingered on Mm -hmm. the original screenplay had that room be what was inside that room be the epilogue of the film and and apparently they had kept it they kept it and and in the end they got rid of it because they were like they liked how how it naturally ended or how the how as they were editing they were like well this this looks like a better ending than than they basically said the ending we have is better Without the epilogue, so so imagine. Well, now I, damn, now I want to know. Oh, I'll I'll tell you once we're done with this review. Sure. Um, because I looked into it; it was real, and they shot it. It's just the, the. So, in your opinion, without saying it, do you think the epilogue would have helped? I honestly. So the way that the movie ends in a very cathartic way, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way that like a lot of American movies end, where someone does something and then it cuts to black. Sure. Right? And I'm like, okay, that's a very American way of ending something. Mm-hmm. Adding adding this would have just would have just been like, okay, they really are trying to now lean in into the horror because this movie is labeled as a horror, but you really don't get that until like like you get sprinkles of it. There's like three big scenes in the first two acts that are very mm-hmm. horror like mm-hmm. tinged. They are, and see, you know which ones I'm talking about. Oh yeah. And it's only in the final, the 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 final moment in the restaurant where it goes horror again, very Ari Aster like, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are making, people are kind of like in this horrible moment, and they're fine with it or they're happy for it, and it's it's really fucked up. Yeah. Um. And then it it, it cuts to the actual final scene, and then it cuts to black. Um. I think doing that epilogue, it would have gone back to that Ari Aster level of uncomfortable moment. Mm-hmm. But it, it just, was it at least interesting, in your opinion? I, I mean, eh, I would. It would have brought more questions to my mind, which is why I think they Removed made it. more sense to remove it. Because you'd be like, Fair "Wait, enough. then who the fuck did that? How how would that happen? Who? Mm-hmm. What, what? What was going on? Anyway, anyway, gotcha. uh, leave it at that. Now, the other performers in this movie Mm -hmm. uh let's start with the guests we've already talked about janet mcteer we've talked about um what's his face paul edelstein we've talked about anya taylor joy nicholas holt um what's his name Uh, john leguizamo john leguizamo was in it uh and he was being john leguizamo yeah i'm not shitting on that i'm just saying so another piece of trivia i found out like, he was great. He's always great. In the original script, John Leguizamo's character was supposed to be played by Daniel Radcliffe playing Daniel Radcliffe. 
Oh, I kind of love that. I, I don't know why he they didn't get Daniel Radcliffe, but mm-hmm. it was supposed to be him, like explicitly him. And That's because funny. Because they always had Ray Fiennes in mind for Chef Slowick. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really guys? Okay. Um I, a, I think that could have worked. It it could have worked. It could have worked. Um then we have uh I guess she's a new I haven't seen her in much of anything else. Amy Carrero as Felicity. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. She was in The Last Witch Hunter with Vin Diesel. <laughs> okay. That, okay, so not a newcomer. That existed, but, but okay. Yeah, so she plays she plays John Leguizamo's assistant, Felicity. Uh, Felicity has a problem where, like, the actress is very likable. Amy mm-hmm. Carrero is very likable. In, and in this, she's likable as well. Yeah. The problem becomes where you're like, okay, so what's what's Felicity's deal that she's a piece of shit? The movie tries to give you a reason, gives you a couple of reasons to call her a piece of shit, and you're like, uh, okay, I guess, whatever. So, but you, you're I, really not that bad compared to these actual monsters. Speaking of, okay. we have Rob Yang, Arturo Castro, and Mark St. Cyr as the three uh, finance bros in this mm-hmm. picture. My God, are they pieces of shit? Yeah. Now here's the thing: they're assholes, and you're like, they're assholes. We get it. And then you learn why they're pieces of shit, and I'm like, oh, you've ruined lives, you you fucks. Yeah, I would say, I would say, so Rob Yang plays like the 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 leader of the trio, right? He's like, he seems yeah. to be the older one. Uh, he seems to be the one who's like more put together. Where Arturo Castro, like literally plays like a cheating piece of shit on his girl, on his wife. Right. And he's the one who's like always telling people, do you know who we are? Do you know what we are? Mm-hmm. And then Mark St. Clair is kind of that tag along. He's like, he's like, Oh, tell him this, tell him that. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm-hmm. But then slowly, but surely you start seeing just how all three of them are just like, yeah. Arturo Castro is like the most obnoxious of them. But mm-hmm. then, you know, Rob Yang has his character show that just like, like high level arrogance he has. Mark St. Cure is kind of like, eh, it's fine that we do stuff like this. It's expected that we do shitty things like this. It's, it's those three guys, each of them will have on their demo reel. Look, I can play a great villain. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And then we have the, this older couple played by Reed, Reed Bernie plays the, the husband and Judith light plays the wife right now. I want to point out real quick about the husband. He is in a, he was in a movie either a year ago or two years ago called Mass. Guys, holy shit! That movie is emotionally devastating. That's all. Like, and he's fi- he's one of only f- technically six, but really four lead oh, actors. Is that directed by the stoner from? Yes, uh, that's that movie from uh, from Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods, yeah. And people are saying like it's the next great, like he's going to be the next great American screenwriter based on this movie alone. It's unrelated, guys. Check out Mass, but understand that it is emotionally devastating. Ironic, point. Yeah. Ironically enough, he's also in another movie that the menu has been compared to, The Hunt. That's very true. Yeah. But his wife in the, sorry, that character's wife in, um, in. In the menu, she, I kept trying to place her for the longest time, and I couldn't, and I looked it up, and I realized she was in Ugly Betty. Like, that's what she's in. She played, um, 
I don't. I know. I was a fan. Okay. Of course so you were. See, of course listen, you were. Listen. Oh, what do you see? listen? This is like when you said, "Of course, my favorite um, uh, Denis Villeneuve movie was Arrival." I know what you're saying right now. <laughs> I know what you're saying. But point being, I liked that show. It's a funny show, for the record. But she was in that show as a as a as, as a pretty regular reoccurring character. So I knew I recognized her from somewhere. So what I really like, so they're they're the regulars, quote unquote regular. So think about that. Well, he's a real regular. Think about that. Learned. He's for a, a restaurant that's twenty that's twelve hundred dollars a head, and they go there like once a week. What the fuck? And and obviously the film they're they're the the subject of the film's iron, the sense of like these people who consume our creativeness, our, our creative endeavors, they don't appreciate it, right? It, yeah. These are obviously the people who go to a movie and they just go to a movie to go see a movie. They don't really care, right? Mm-hmm. They're you. The, when when I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, they're those folks who buy who go out of their way way to buy a ticket opening night to see a movie, and then they start texting on their phone. Yeah. That's who these people are. Right. And and I thought to myself, like, okay, I get it. Uh, Reed Bernie is also the guy who kind of goes like he's the one he kind of inadvertently breaks the illusion that it's a normal dinner. He's the one who goes like, okay, fuck this. I'm heading out. And (laughs) he becomes he becomes a victim of of quite an intense piece of violence. But but and and he plays it masterfully. There's also a connection between him and Anya Taylor Joy. That you expect to go one way and then goes another that that in a weird way humanizes him, right? Where you're like, oh, well, well it, it, it humanizes him in the way that you're like, oh, oh, he's he, he's fucked up in a really sad way, right? Yeah, he is. You learn. I, I didn't. Uh, like, like I, I don't. It didn't make me like him more. No, 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 no. You're not supposed to like him. But yeah. you go like, oh, because you think it's going to be one very specific thing where you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be this. And then it's like something that's like kind of that's really pathetic. And you're like, you're like, oh, well, interesting. But, al- but also fucked up. It's fucked up. The thing is, the movie could have taken the very obvious route and it does something subversive with it where you're like, oh, okay, this is this is what it is. And and it's also used to kind of show how working class uh, Margot's character is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other side so on the other side of the kitchen, on the other side of the restaurant, you have the kitchen workers. Mm-hmm. Obviously they all follow Ray fine chef Slowick, like he's their personal God, but then you have they're They're mostly a mass of like mindless drones for the exception of, of two, mm-hmm. uh, one being Hong Chow's Elsa. She plays the, uh, uh, I guess she plays like the hostess, like yeah. like like she's dressed like a chef, but she acts more like the hostess of the restaurant. So, Hong Chow, for those that don't know, she was in uh, she was in Watchmen. That's kind of the thing that made her that kind of that kind of got her noticed noticed by most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's she's pretty much going to be in the running for Best Supporting Actress Oscar because she's the nurse in The Whale starring Brendan Fraser, which is coming out later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she got her start in uh, in the Watchmen TV show. Uh, apparently there was a deleted. She pl- Did you ever read Artemis Fowl? See, I read the first one. OK, 
So you know, so the first one has a very icon. It's literally the first scene of the book where the fairy that Artemis Fowl steals the book from is this is this fairy yeah. in uh, in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And she was that fairy they in the movie, except they cut the scene, like oh. a scene that everybody was waiting for. And that was like a money shot in the trailer. So, yeah. And but yeah. It. Yeah. So so Hong Chow plays Elsa. And I got to say, she does that. She. Whereas whereas Ray Fiennes does the like like the monotone crazy like. Hello, how are you? I'm gonna. All of you are gonna die tonight, right? He does kind of that that version of crazy. She does the one where she's like, like barely concealing her bloodlust, right? Like, and this is a this is a small woman, and when she's like saying, she's she's gonna when she says, you're gonna eat less than you like but more than you deserve with such bloodlust. No, was that like, was a, that was she was great in that too. She yeah. Because here's the thing. I I have I have worked various jobs in within the realm of customer service I should say or guest service not that's all I'll say customer service related in varying degrees so at times to be clear I've never been a waiter and I've never been a been a server at a restaurant I've never worked at a restaurant but I saw from the moment she greeted them on the boat, I was like, I looked at her. It's like, oh, she's mad. Though, like, I could tell. Yes. Because, and she, so few, like, that was such a very unique layer to have is that, because one thing you learn in the world of customer service is you learn to say the nicest words, but to really, as if you're, as if, they're the worst things to say. A common one I use a lot in my customer service voice is when they say something that I didn't necessarily love, but it wasn't like a direct attack. It wasn't like an actually terrible thing to say, or it was just like something that like makes my job more difficult. I just go like this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I, yes. Well, I am sorry for that inconvenience, but if I may add, there is a way that I we can resolve this together. So in my head, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to rip your fucking head off. But in, on the outside, I'm just going, well, I can see why that would be frustrating. And I do respect that. I do need to add that we have a way we can resolve this if we just discuss this a little further. So I know, <laughs> see what I'm getting at? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, but I saw her do that at times. Not literally what I just said, but I saw do that. It's that attitude. It's that attitude where you're like, you are really saying, eat my shit, fuck face. But you're saying, you're saying something else. And And she nailed that. Yeah. And once the mask leaves the illusion that this is a normal night, right? She, she never goes like the hysterical, crazy person who's like, I'm going to kill you all. No, No, she savors it like a meal. Yes, yes, that's what's cool. It's that, like she savors. It. Like, like again, I've I haven't seen her in uh, the Watchmen TV show, uh, but now I'm really, really excited for what's gonna probably be a, an award nominated turn in the Whale with Brendan Fraser. Like oh, yeah. every everyone said that that it's not as much of a certainty like Brendan Fraser winning the Best Actor Oscar, but she's pretty much like a favorite for best supporting actress. And I'm like, yeah. after seeing her in this, I'm like very, very excited. Yeah. And then fine. So, uh, 
finally we have uh, one of the one of the line cooks, one of the sous chefs named Catherine, played by this actress Christina Brucato. Catherine is really the only so there 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 are, there's another sous chef that has a moment, right? But they don't mm-hmm. say anything. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, the character of Catherine is really the only time we get to peek inside the those line cooks and why they're doing what they're doing. And <laughs> pretty much her her only scene is her being normal for a second and then finding out that she's just as crazy, if not more so, than Chef Slowick. And I got to say, she pulls it off masterfully. She has a little monologue. She has a little monologue where she talks about Chef Slowick that I'm like, this is fucked up. This is really... And you're willing to do this after all the fucked up things you said he did? What? But she plays it so naturally that I was like, well, shit. I, I, I guess, I guess he has a way with words then. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a moment she has with, with the other, the, for, for a reason I won't get into, she's alone with only the female characters of the film. <laughs> and it goes from like, like, okay, this is going to be the release of tension to like the tension gets racked up to like a humorous beat. And, and I thought it was very funny, very well executed. Um, and then obviously we have a uh, Peter gross, I, I guess that's his name. I've seen him in a bunch of others. He plays a sommelier, right? Mm-hmm. And he's in there for like, he never has a scene that he's the focus on. He's always in the background, but he's always either doing something that a sommelier would do like an annoying sommelier. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know, sommelier is the guy Wait, who basically, it, okay. you worked in a kitchen. I do not know this. I thought it was, a, it was sommelier. Have I been saying that wrong? Is, that's what I said, right? Sommelier. Oh, never mind. Okay, is that I'm what I'm saying? saying? I, anyway. So, never mind. Anyway, so he plays a he plays a sommelier, and he he basically does the uh, the stereotypical things an annoying sommelier would do. Is like, oh, do you should pair this with this one. You pair this with this one, or he's just like laughing to himself or laughing at someone else in the in a batshit crazy way, all in the background, by the mm-hmm. way. And I was like, I was like, see that it's a thankless role when you're basically regulated to the background character. Also, am I crazy or notice? Am I noticing that like? Over time, the wines he's recommending are like cheaper and cheaper. I, or is that I, just random? I I cannot confirm or deny because honestly, there were other things I was focusing on on the film. I just always remembered that he would be recommending stuff at like the weirdest moments of the movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. See, what are your final thoughts? So, this movie. When I first talked to you about after seeing this, I told you it was Pig meets Ready or Not, which two great movies. Uh, one is um, a, a really a revival of Nicolas Cage doing some incredible performance as a chef, so to speak. And Ready or Not is a literal horror film uh, that takes place during a game night, so to speak. That's all I'll say. There's more to it than that, but that's all I'll say. So I really felt a strong blend of both there. Um, having said that, I think this movie is, I do give this movie a flush. I str- it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a cold flush. I think like, or it's been heated under the heat lamp at the restaurant 
a little bit to be mm-hmm. a little punny. But at the end of the day, the first two acts are riveting and the ending almost works. It's just they kind of lose sight of the bigger picture, but they still carry forth the more personal element. So I do have to give it a flush, but it is, you know what? It is a flawed flush. That's how I put it. Mm-hmm. And I I had to actually, I, I'm actually glad we took a while to before we reviewed this because I really had to think about it. Like, I was, conv- here's what I'll say. It is a flawed flush. Without a doubt, it, you'll enjoy this movie. Anyone, go see it. You don't have to see it in theaters. But I will say this. I think I had very high expectations. I was expecting to put this within my top 10. And I it it will probably not be for me. <clears throat> and I think that's not fair in one way. It's not fair to me to say, oh, I expected this and I got this. Because I still got an enjoyable movie. Like, I liked it. But I think the trailer makes you think that this is going to be edge off your seat the entire time. And it is, but then it just stumbles in the moments you don't want it to. I I can't say I disagree with you, C. Um, So Ray Ray Fiennes gives one of his career best performances as Chef Slowick. He basically represents the creative artist who now hates what they're doing. And they're lashing out at everyone they perceived to be the reason why they hate what they do. And listen, it's, it's as written or, or at, or as conceived, this is a very broad like type of role. Like it's very, it's, it's very much a like on paper, you just write chef goes crazy, mm-hmm. right? That, that's very broad. But Ray Fiennes plays it with such specificity. He plays this as a man who, who went into this out of a passion for, for, for his, his creative expression. And he's just so worn down by all the externalities. And, and you see that, right? I, I'm, I'm almost certain that Ray Fiennes basically drew from the self-loathing he had working on Holmes and Watson <laughs> or all those Ooh. other things that he had to, he had to do for, uh, for a paycheck. And you really sense it. Like when he rants about who ruined, who ruined his career, he rants over everyone who he feels like has diminished the art of, of being a restaurateur, the art of gourmet cuisine. And I got to say, that's real compelling shit. Real, real compelling shit. And if this was a stronger movie, I would probably be ranting about like, oh, the Academy's not going to look at this performance because they hate genre, blah, blah, blah. That's the episode we were expecting to have. Yeah, actually. yeah, that yeah, that's the episode we were expecting to have to be like because we we both agree that this is some of Ray Fine's best career work, but the movie isn't. Unfortunately, the movie is not on a level where if Ray Fine's is performance is ignored, it's a travesty, right? Like like Pig was at, as an overall movie was at a level that because the Academy ignored. Um, Nicholas Cage's performance, that was a travesty. And we talked about it. We said, like, this, this, how, how can you not nominate Nicholas Cage? That was one of the best movies of the year. That was probably his best performance in the past two decades. But anyway, mm-hmm. this movie does have problems. And those problems stem from the fact that on a logistical level, the narrative takes shortcuts that are just too big to ignore. And as you stated, the, the way the film resolves itself, you're kind of like, 
it doesn't leave a terrible taste in your mouth. It leaves a bit of a salty taste in your mouth where you're like, huh, okay, I guess. It's like, you know what, it, you know what this is? This movie is really, really dark chocolate. It's still chocolate. still good. But it's really dark chocolate. I, so, yeah. It's like very bitter. Yeah. So, and Anya Taylor-Joy is doing a great job as Margot. She she's playing a version of the final girl that has some twists and subversiveness to it that I really appreciated. The satire in this movie works. It really does. It's just sometimes hundred oh, percent. Just sometimes in the service of the satire, the the narrative jumps the movie makes, it's kind of hard to ignore or to just brush aside. Now, my rate ultimate rating for this is going to be a flush with a slightly broken emulsion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do. You'd find that funny, right? Right. It, oh it's still, God. it's still good. It's still good. Mm. But I can't help but notice that the oil and the, mm. I, I can't help but notice that the oil is separating from the from the vinegar. Oh my God! From the egg. I, I can't help but notice. You're good. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's a good one. You know what? Like, like, like. I'm not going to return it to the kitchen because that's a dick move. Um, but but I am going to ma- mention to the maitre d' that like, hey, hey, this emulsion is starting to separate. What the fuck? Like, like I've I've made enough uh, emulsified uh, sauces that I'm like, I'm like, there's a lot of work into making sure that shit never separates. <laughs> but but again and again. So listen, the performances across the board are great. There's not a weak link on that. It's just, it's just as the story plays out, you're gonna, you're gonna have questions. the The movie tries to answer them or justify wh- how it's going, where it's going. It's just at the very, at the very end, you're just kind of like, mm, I don't know, I don't know. That being yeah. said, that being said, like, I just wish, I just wish we lived in a world where a genre film didn't have to be like hitting hitting hundreds across the board just to have just to have like one element of it noticed as in Ray Fine's performance. Right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we live in a world where your film has to be into the stratosphere level. Good. You have order- to be silence of the lambs. Good. Yeah. In order to get performances noticed or the writing notice or stuff like yeah. that, because you know, if this was, if this was, if this was, if Ray Fines gave this level of performance in a, in like a, in, in, in middle of the road biopic, oh, he'd be nominated for the he'd be nominated for the Oscar. Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, Renee Zellweger won because she did an amazing performance in the middle of the road biopic. So you know, but we don't live in that world, unfortunately. Yeah. Genre has to be hitting on all cylinders. Genre films have to be hitting on all cylinders in order to get looked at by the Academy. And you know what? You're at, that actually is a very fair point. It's like. And I never, the Academy, for some reason, I used to always say they hate genre films. For some reason, they've just decided until the genre film is better than the last genre film we nominated, we will never nominate genre films. It's like, hold on a minute. Exactly. That's going to be years. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's totally true. That's going to be years before that happens. And and one other thing we haven't mentioned, and I feel like was worth mentioning before we sign off, the, the money shots of the food is amazing. They're all oh, great. Yeah. It's all great. Like, like even I'm the shot- funny, even the funny ones. And yes, there are funny food money shots. Yeah, really are. And, and they're really good. Yeah. And, uh, I gotta say like Ray Fiennes has one scene where he has to prepare a meal. Like just, just the, 
everything he says by not saying anything is a highlight of the movie for me. Oh yeah. It really is. And that's why I'm like, I'm like, if an Academy member sees that sees that scene and goes like, ah, oh, no, he doesn't deserve to be nominated. They're, they're not a serious person, but no. in any case, um, this has been, what do you think? I'm Al. And I'm C. Uh, till the next reservation folks. Tip your waiter. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thank you.